So we are in Ephesians chapter number 2. We got down through verse number 4 last time, but just as a matter of recap, we will go back and cover verse 4 just a bit. Uh, So Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 4. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us. So if you'll remember uh, in verses 1 down through verse number 3, Paul was really uh, talking about how that in time past we walked after the course of this world according to the prince and power of the air. Uh, Our conversation uh, in time past uh, was after the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh uh, and the mind. And by nature, we were the children of wrath. And then he said, but God, who is rich in mercy. And we talked about there the word love where it says for his great love that word if you'll remember is agape and that word agape is uh, translated 24 times as charity so that is the greatest kind of love the love that expects nothing in return it's a one-way love Uh, so that's where we use the example of when we give money to charity we don't expect anything in return for that. It's a, it's a gift that we give freely with no strings attached. And that is what God's love is. He gives it freely. His mercy and his love is given freely. So now let's go down into verse number five. He said, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace are you saved. So Here, we see that he's talking about the love, the agape love of God. And then he said, even when we were dead in sins. And if you'll remember uh, in verse number one, he said that we were dead in trespasses and sins. So then we get down to verse number five. He says, even when we were dead in sins, even when we weren't worth loving, God's love was still given to us, that agape love, even when we were dead uh, in those sins. And he says that when we were dead in those sins, he hath quickened us together with Christ. So that word quicken uh, means to be made alive. So he has made us alive uh, together with Christ. And... It says, by grace are you saved. So here we have to understand and we have to remember who Paul's writing to. So he's writing, if you remember back in chapter 1, verse number 1, he said that he was writing to all the saints uh, in Ephesus. So he wasn't writing to a church, but he was writing to everyone that has been saved and born again. So we have to remember at this time, Why was that so critically important? Some of the books of the Bible were written to the Jews. Some were written to the Gentiles. This book here, Ephesus, uh, I mean Ephesians, was written to Ephesus and he was writing to both the Jews and the Gentiles because at the time there was a great uh, division because this was a time of transition to where the Jews, uh, Judaism was done away with at the cross. 
So the law was done away with. So now they got this new religion, this new gospel, which is uh, the next step, the next version, uh, the next covenant, so to speak, that we went from law to grace, and they're in the middle of this transition period. So there was a lot going on, and we're going to get into this more as we go through uh, chapter 2. There was a lot of, okay, now what do we do? Uh, so the Jews were still trying to say, well, you know, we still have to obey the law. We, we still have to observe the Sabbath. We still have to do circumcision. We still have to, uh, you know, do all these things. But that's not what the gospel says. The gospel says it's by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. So what they were doing is there was a debate and they were going through a normal transition. So a lot of times we look at this kind of thing and we say, well, you know, uh, in looking back, sometimes we will cast dispersions or we'll say, how could they do that? But we have to understand, for the Jews, their world was literally turned upside down. What they had been raised their whole life, what they believed, everything now has changed for the good. But it's, it's a transition that they had to adapt to. So they were going through this transition period. So in this, when we see in verse number 5... He says, even when we were dead in trespasses and sin, he, he being, he's saying, we, Jews and Gentiles. So when we were dead in trespasses and sin. So it's not like before Christ died on the cross, all the Jews were okay and all the Gentiles were going to hell. That wasn't, that wasn't it at all. But he's saying, Jew, Gentile, we were all destined for hell with, outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, and we'll see that more as we go down through. It says, when we were dead in trespass sin, he hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. And that's important where he says us. So he's saying, Jews and Gentiles, there is no longer a difference between the two. And that's a big transition for the Jews because the Jews, the Gentiles, were uncircumcised dogs. Gentiles were, were something that they were outcasts. They were something not to be associated with. They, they were people that you couldn't eat with, that you couldn't have conversations with. You, you, did, you had no association with Gentiles if you were a Jew. And now Jesus Christ says, you all are all one. <laughs> and that was, a tra that was hard for them. That was a transition. So Paul is helping feed that transition by saying he hath quickened us together we were all dead in our sins but he hath quickened us together with Christ by grace are you saved so then in verse number six uh, Paul continues the theme and says not only has he quickened us or made us alive with Christ he said and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, the important thing about this verse is you, you have to understand the mindset of the people that he was talking to. You know, and it, it wasn't just a one-way street. It wasn't that the Jews didn't like the Gentiles, but the Gentiles thought the Jews were really great people. <laughs> there, was, there was hatred on both sides. Jews didn't like Gentiles, and Gentiles didn't like Jews. For different reasons but they uh, were not friendly under any stretch of the imagination but what does Paul tell them 
he's, he's speaking to Jews and Gentiles, and he said that he hath raised us up together and has made us set together in heavenly places. And a Jew saying, whoa, 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 I'm going to be sitting with Gentiles in heaven? Yep. And the Gentiles were like, I'm going to be with Jews in heaven? Yes. So if we go back, um, and, and this is true that we have to understand, <clears throat> every race, what we call race, there's only one race, the human race, but every race of people are going to be represented in heaven. Every nationality is going to be represented in heaven. If you don't like Germans for some reason, you're going to be with Germans in heaven. If you don't like French people, you're going to be in heaven with French people. It, that, see, that's why to me uh, racism is so anti-Bible and anti-God because if you believe the Bible, I don't understand how you could be a racist in any shape or form and, and hate other people just because they're different from you. Uh, because it all started with Adam and Eve. And he said he called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. So every human being came from Adam and Eve. And then at the flood, it all went back down to Noah and his three sons and their wives. So it funneled again. So everybody that is alive today came from Noah and his three sons. So we're all related somehow, some way or another. And we're all, anybody that's accepted the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be in heaven. And we're going to set together in heavenly places. And that, that goes even far beyond race or anything else. You, you've probably seen it. I've seen it in my lifetime. I have been in church to where one group is sitting on one side of the church and hates the group sitting on the other side of the church. They won't speak. And, and they're in a big argument, you're going to be sitting together in heaven. So whether you, whether you, you know, if we get petty about things on this earth and we argue and fuss about things, we have to always remember we will be sitting together in heaven. And that's what Paul was telling them. He says that he has raised us up together because we were all dead in sins. He's quickened us, made us alive raised us up together, and made us set together in heavenly places. Our physical position may be here on this earth, but our spiritual position is in heavenly places. We have a reservation in heaven, and he's telling both groups that they're going to be sitting together. John uh, chapter 14, Jesus said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. So uh, he, he laid down and, and let us know how things were going to be. And then in Peter, First uh, Peter, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a lively hope, a living hope, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for us. So that's what he's talking about here when he says that he's made us set together in heavenly places. We have that reservation. And he also told us in Romans, Paul said that we are, we are heirs and joint heirs with Christ. So we have 
that heavenly reservation. There is a spot made for us in heaven. Now, do I know what that is? Do, do I know that each one of us is going to have our own home, our own mansion? I don't know. He said he went in my father's house or many mansions. It doesn't say that everybody's going to have their own. I don't understand and I can't foresee what heaven is going to be. But imagine the greatness of heaven and then realize it's 10 times greater than anything that any of us could even imagine. So we have that reservation. Now, here's something that I want to say. I'm not sure what's going to happen tomorrow. I'm not even 100% sure that when I leave here tonight that I will make it home. I could have a car wreck. I could have a heart attack. I, anything could happen between here and when I get home. So I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know if I'm going to get up in the morning or not. I don't know if I'm going to make it home. But one thing that I do know 100% is that I'm going to be sitting with Jesus and you in heavenly places. Whether I make it home tonight or not, that I'm 100% sure of. So I don't know what the future holds on this earth, but I know exactly what the future holds beyond this earth. And so can you, because the Word of God tells us. Now, so when we see that, um, when we look at verses 4 down through verse number 6, Paul was presenting um, the present. Uh, before that, in verse 1 through 3, he gave us the past, then the present, and now verse 7 down through verse number 10, he's going to give us the future. So in verse number 7, he said that in the ages to come, so he's made us set together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. We've already seen that God is rich in love, that he's rich in mercy, and he's rich in grace. Um, by saving us from our sins, he demonstrated not just his grace, but he demonstrated his riches of his grace and not only that, but the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us because we were dead in trespasses and sins. And he quickened us and made us alive. Now, this is the big takeaway from verse number 7. He said that in the ages to come, throughout all eternity, this is what heaven's going to be. He said we're going to be in heaven. We're going to be set together in heavenly places. That for all the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us. So what's that mean? That means that you and I are going to be the trophies on display in heaven. That is evidence of his grace and his love and his mercy. That's what we are. We're the trophies that he's going to have in heaven. He's going to say, this is evidence. We're going to be the evidence of his love. We're the evidence of his grace. We're the evidence of his mercy. He said that in the ages to come, that he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness because we're there. We don't deserve to be there. There's nothing that we did to earn a right to be there. There's nothing that you could ever do to earn it or to pay for it. It's all through the grace of God. Go back up to verse number five. By grace... Are you saved? So now 
as we move down in to verse 8 and verse number 9, we have to understand that this is one of the greatest explanations of salvation in the New Testament. It's right there in my mind, equal to or even with John 3.16. So let's look at what he says. In verse number 8, uh, in verse 5 he said, by grace are you saved. And then in verse number 8 he repeats that. He says, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So, first of all, let's look at, in verse number 8, there is, there has been debate over the years. And it's a friendly debate. Um, but the part in verse number 8, and it can be confusing, you break it down, uh, for by grace are you saved... Part number two, through faith. Part number three, and that not of yourselves. Part number four, it is the gift of God. So there's been thoughts and conversation uh, about, okay, where Paul says, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. What is he saying is not of ourselves and it is the gift of God? Well, there's three things that are mentioned in verse number 8. He mentions grace, and he mentions being saved or salvation, and he mentions faith. So one of those three is what he's talking about when he says, and that is not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. So it's either grace, faith, or salvation. So as I've said before, the most important thing that we can do is we can conjecture and we can say this is what I think and we can, we can read uh, different commentaries and hear what different commentators say. We can ask different people that, that we respect and think have uh, uh, you know, great Bible knowledge. But really the best way to interpret Scripture is with Scripture. So let's go to the rest of the Bible to find out which one here is he talking about when he says, it's not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. So what is the gift of God? So in Romans 5, 15, Paul says, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. So he says, okay, so Paul's talking about in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, the gift of God. And then in Romans 5, he said, uh, the free gift for if through the offense of one many be dead much more by the grace of God and the gift by grace which is by one man Jesus Christ has abounded to many so that tells us that the gift is not grace because he said the free gift and that gift is by grace so grace is not the gift he's talking about so it's not grace that's not of ourselves, even though grace is not of ourselves. It's completely of God. But that's not the gift that he was talking about because he said in Romans 5 that the gift is by grace. So then let's look at faith. So in Romans chapter 10, Paul says, So then faith 
cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So faith is not the free gift. That's not of ourselves either. Because we get faith by hearing the word of God. That's how we get faith. So how do we have faith to believe? We hear the word of God. And that gives us the faith to believe the gospel of salvation. Now, in Romans 5, verse 18, he says, Therefore, by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification for life. So the free gift came upon us, which brought justification. So the question is, we don't think it's grace. We don't think it's faith. What is that free gift that brings justification? Well, it spells out really plainly in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, one of my most favorite verses in the Bible. And, of course, you'll hear me say that all the time because I have a lot of favorite verses. Romans 6, 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, and then tells us what the gift of God is. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So now that we've seen that, that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, which what we would say salvation, let's go back and read Ephesians 2 verse 8 again. For by grace are you saved. So how are we saved? Is it by works? Is it because we deserve it? No, it's, it's by the grace of God. And it's through faith that we get from hearing the word of God. And it says, and that, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. So what he's saying is the salvation is not of yourself. It's the gift of God. He's not saying grace is not of yourself. He's not saying faith. See, when I was young and I first started really getting serious, and when I say I was young, when I was a teenager and I started getting serious about studying the Word of God, I was convinced that when he said, and that not of yourselves, he was talking about faith. And I would say that faith is not of ourselves. Even faith is a gift of God. But I misread it. I, I, I wasn't accurate because he's not talking about faith. Because faith comes by hearing. It doesn't, say, it doesn't say faith comes by a gift of God. He didn't say that in Romans chapter 10. He said faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the gift of God, the thing that's not of ourselves, is salvation. Now, why is that so important? Well, it was, a, it was a big issue in Paul's day, but I got news for you. We all know it's still a big issue now in 2021. And in Paul's day, it was the Jews trying to tell the Gentiles, we welcome you into the body of Christ, but you still have to obey the law. You still have to do these things. You can't eat these kind of foods. You got to be circumcised. You got to do all this other kind of stuff. And Paul was saying, no, 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 no. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Because here's the thing. Before Jesus Christ died on the cross, there is no one that ever made it to heaven because they kept the law. People might say, well, Terry, that's awful strong words. It's because nobody can keep the law. <laughs> it's not humanly possible to keep the law. Nobody got to heaven by keeping the law. It's always been by grace through faith. What was the grace or what was the faith? Before it was faith, the Messiah will come. 
There will be a Messiah that comes and will forgive us of our sins. It was a forward-looking faith. And that's what symbolized, in the law, it symbolized uh, the animal sacrifices symbolized the death of Jesus Christ. And that covered their sin for the year. And every year, the high priest had to go into the uh, Holy of Holies and had to give a sacrifice for the sins of the people. And that covered their sins for another year. And if you sinned, you had to take a dove and you had to, you, you had to go, depending on your uh, income level, whether it was a lamb or whether it was a dove or whatever, you had to do those sacrifices to cover the sins of yourself and your family. It didn't forgive sins, it covered sins. So it was a temporary covering for sin. So when was that temporary covering lifted and sins forgiven permanently? At the cross. So it was a covering for sin. All those animal sacrifices was symbolic of Jesus Christ dying on the cross. The innocent lamb, the innocent dove, the, the pure. It had to be a pure lamb. It couldn't be a sick lamb. It couldn't be one that's lame. It had to be pure. And that symbolized, it was all symbolic of Jesus Christ dying on the cross. So everybody before the cross, their sins were temporarily put on hold until Jesus Christ died on the cross. Now, our faith is a backwards-looking faith. They always say hindsight's 2020. Well, it's easier for us to believe, I think, than it was for people before the cross to believe because they just believed someday a Messiah will come. We actually have recorded proof that Jesus Christ, whether you believe he was the Son of God or not, whether you are an atheist and you don't believe in religion at all, Jesus Christ was a real person that walked on this earth, that was nailed to a cross and died on a cross. Nobody can dispute that, okay? Well, people dispute things that are obvious all the time. But that is not up for debate, in my opinion. Jesus Christ was real. He was a person. Now, we can debate whether or not he was really the Son of God, but we can't debate that he actually was here on this earth. So we see that... Um, salvation is the free gift uh, that he was talking about. Salvation can only be attained because God grants forgiveness for our sins by his mercy and grace. It can't be purchased. It can't be earned. It can't be deserved. It's a free gift uh, which has... Here's the thing about the free gift. It has nothing to do with the person that receives it and everything to do with the person that gives it. You're, you're, if you get a gift at Christmas time, what do you do to earn that gift? Sometimes my children got gifts they didn't even deserve at Christmas because they hadn't, you know, if, if, if <laughs> my, my children were good, were good boys, okay? They're, they, there's, you know, they wasn't on drugs. They wasn't out doing a lot of crazy things. But honestly, if Christmas presents were only based on how good they were January through December, they probably wouldn't have got very many gifts on Christmas if it was only based on what they deserved to get, okay? Because they were kids, right? And kids don't always obey. They don't always do the right thing. They make mistakes. They make bad decisions. But the gift is not about the receiver. The gift is all about the giver. Uh, so, 
it wasn't that we earned salvation or deserved salvation. It wasn't about us. It was all about him. So when we look at this and when Paul says that by grace are you saved through faith, and that salvation is not of yourself, it's a gift of God. In verse 9 he says, not of works, lest any man should boast. What he's saying is the law is done away with. Forget the law. Forget all that stuff that we had to do before. That's done away with because it's all now about grace and about mercy and about God's love. It's not about keeping the law. So that was what uh, Paul was emphasizing here and that's why he kept going back and saying by grace are you saved by grace are you saved through faith uh, that it's a free gift it's not of works lest any man should boast so he's saying forget the law now remember this was a huge transition uh, for the Jews of the day and then uh, we get down to verse number 10 Paul wraps up uh, this part of it um, by saying for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Now, there are people that will say, um, and I was raised in, in this doctrine, uh, you got to get right, live right, and die right. But that's actually not what Paul says here. Paul says that by grace you are saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. So it's not through our actions that we get it. It's not through our actions that we keep it. Okay. Now, that's hard sometimes to understand with the physical mind because people have said to me, so Terry, you're saying I can get saved and just go out and live any way I want, do anything I want, and I'm still going to go to heaven. Well, salvation is a permanent thing. All right, But what Paul says here, and it's really important that we understand, Paul goes into great detail all the way down through verse number 9 and says over and over again, it's by grace, it's through faith, it's not of yourselves, it's not about works, it's not about the law. And then what, how does he wrap it up in verse 10? He says, we are his workmanship. And when he says that, it's like we are the evidence of what he created. He created us. And the Bible tells us that when we become a Christian and we get saved, that we are a new creature, that old things are passed away and all things are become new. Those new things, our new uh, uh, attitude, our new outlook on life, our, our new self is what he's talking about. That's the workmanship that's created in Christ Jesus. And he says, unto good work. So Paul's not saying, you don't... He, Paul says, look, I'm not saying that you don't have to do good deeds anymore. I'm not saying that good works aren't important. What I'm saying is, is that's not how you earn salvation. But he says, we were his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So what's the expectation? The expectation is God created us to do good works. And not only that, but he goes on to say, and hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So what does that mean, walk in them? That means every day. That, that's our, that should be our lifestyle. That should be the way we live as Christians. Now, how is that possible? How can, how can any of that happen? And how can uh, this 
by good works uh, be in there. So good works, we have to understand, that's a part of God's plan. It's not the price of salvation. It's the proof of salvation. You see, there's so many people that say, well... I don't want to get saved because if I do, I'll have to give this up. I'll have to stop doing this. I'll have to stop doing that. And what I tell people is you don't have to give anything up. You don't have to stop doing anything. You just give your heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ. The thing about it is you will be changed. You will be a new creature. Your attitudes will change. Your desires will change. Your wants will change. Got news for you. You won't want to do that stuff anymore. Now, that might be hard for people to understand because you say, well, it's the flesh, Terry. I'm still drawn. You, you have to understand, the flesh is tempted, but the want to, you see, even Paul says, he said, those things that I want to do, I find myself not doing. And those things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. So Paul had the same struggle that we had with temptation and with sin and with the desires of the flesh. But here's the thing. The difference is now we... We sometimes still do it, but we don't want to do it. And we feel guilty after we do it. And we're convicted after we do it. You see, if you can go through life and you can openly sin and you can live an open sinful life and you can do all these things and you have no guilt, you have no conscience, and it doesn't bother you at all, you've never been saved. It doesn't matter to me how many times you went up to the altar. It doesn't matter to me what words you said. If you can openly go against the word of God and you can openly blatant sin and it has no effect on you at all, you're not saved. You're not born again. And you better check up. And you're living a false reality because if you're saved and if you're born again, you can't just live anything any way you want because the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of us. That's why he says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Jesus said, I will send a comforter. He will come to you and he will possess you. He will live within you and he will guide you and he will lead you. You see, when we as Christians sin and we feel guilty about that, it's not our conscience. That's not it. It's not peer pressure. It's not because, oh, no, the pastor may find out and I'll look bad in front of the church. We have to understand that convicting comes from the Holy Spirit of God that lives with inside of us. That's where it comes from. It's not our conscience. That little voice we hear in the head when we're, when we're thinking about doing something and there's a little voice saying, you better not. Don't you do that. You know that's not right. That's the Holy Spirit of God speaking to us. And we have to understand that, that that's what he's talking about, that we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. He said, I will put the Holy Spirit inside them. And he said that that God hath before ordained. And that word ordained uh, means that uh, to prepare in advance. So he prepared in advance how that you and I were going to walk in good works. He prepared that in advance because we're his workmanship. He said, I will put the Holy Spirit inside of them and that is how that they will live right and do uh, good works and walk in them. Uh, God has prepared us to live a life of good works and that's where the Holy Spirit of God lives within us and instructs us, leads us, and guides us. Romans 9.23 and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, mercy which he hath 
afore prepared unto glory. He's already prepared us unto glory. Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So when we do good works, listen, do we get glory of it? Sometimes we do. But that's not what the glory comes from. The glory comes from our Father in heaven. He's the one that gets the glory. Because you know something? If I do something right, and if I do something that's meaningful, and I do a good thing, and I'm able to bless somebody else, that's glory to God. Because it's not because I'm all that in a bag of chips. It's not because we are great people that we're able to do good works. We're sinful flesh. And we're able to do good works and we're able to make a difference in people's lives because of God and because of Jesus Christ and because of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. That's why he said that uh, to let our light shine before men, we shouldn't, we shouldn't try to cover up our good works. We shouldn't try to hide it. We should let that shine and let people see our good works so that they can glorify our Father which is in heaven. And that's the, the greatest thing that we should do. When people come up and they say, you did such a good job, you sang so good, you preached so good, you testified so good, we just need to understand that God the Father gets glory for that. That it's glorifying Him. It's not glorifying ourselves. Sometimes we think that we're giving ourselves glory, but it's really not. Our good works glorifies God. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, For God hath called us, I'm sorry, God hath not called us unto uncleanliness, but unto holiness. So there is no doubt in Paul's mind that we should live righteous, that we should live right. So don't get on this kick that, well, if I believe like you, I just go out and do anything. Paul says, oh, no, 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 no. That is not how it works at all. See, salvation is a free gift with no strings attached. That's that agape love. In Colossians chapter 3, he says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ set us on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on this earth. So we have to ask ourselves the question really quickly as we wrap up. Well, what if a person gets saved and doesn't produce good works? What if, they, what if a saved person doesn't do the right thing and lives a life of disobedience and sin? Well, the Bible addresses that. Romans 3.19 says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. Nowhere in the Bible can you find where it says, As many as I love, I throw out of the family of God and send to hell. That's not in here. You can look from Genesis through Revelation. You can't find that in here. Uh, but in Revelations 3.19, is so what does rebuke mean? That means to admonish or to convict, and chasten means to discipline. So what happens if a Christian does not walk in good works and doesn't produce good works and lives a life that's um, contrary to the Word of God and lives a life of sin? Well, we will be rebuked, we'll be convicted, and then if we continue to do it, we'll be chastened. 1 John 5.16 says, If any man see his brother sin a sin, which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. So we can 
if, if we walk outside the will of God, there is a point where God draws the line and he says, you step over this line and I'll take you out. And uh, Brother Greg Collins uh, used a great example of that, and I love it, and I use it. Uh, if a child, if you take your child to a birthday party and your child is misbehaving and you call them down and you pull them off to the side and you say, listen, you got to quit acting like that, you act right, and they continue to act up and they continue to act up, what are you going to do? You're going to grab them by the arm and you're going to take them home. They're not allowed to stay at the party anymore. So that's the way God deals with us. If, if we keep on and, and we openly disobey and we live in open disobedience, God will say, there's going to come a point to where I'm going to put a stop to that and I'll just take you on to heaven. He said uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul said, it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you and such fornication as is not even named by the Gentiles that one would have his father's wife. So a man in the church was, was living with his father's wife, having an affair, not with a married woman, but his stepmother in the church. And what did he say in verse number 5? To deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So Paul did not say that man was not a true member of the church. He said, that man is going to be turned over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. So you think you, think you can be a Christian and you can just live any way you want and get by with it? You're just asking for trouble. Your, your problems haven't even started yet. If you're going to live in open disobedience to God, God will rebuke us. He will chasten us. And when it comes time, he will turn us over to the devil. And he'll say, devil, do whatever you want. And when the devil gets a green light, you don't, listen, none of us want to live a life. Job, the devil got a green light on Job. And it wasn't because Job was sinning. It was because Job was so righteous. But it was only a partial green light. Okay, God, God told the devil that you can, you can do whatever you want, but you can't kill him. And Job, and Job lost everything. He lost his health. He lost his family. He lost everything. That was a green light from God. So if we're living in open disobedience and God gives the devil the green light and he doesn't put in that caveat that you can't kill him, that's how you're going to leave this world because we can't live in open disobedience and sin and be saved. All right. So we will go ahead and stop there and we will pick up uh, in verse number 11 next week.